Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, good morning. I'm uh, grateful to, to be with you this morning to get to open God's Word to you. I want to I want to start with some really good news. Anybody okay with good news? I, uh, I kind of figure that you are. So I want to tell you some things that are going on uh, that have happened uh, this week uh, that are just, I think, very, very incredible and grateful to God that he is giving River Bluff the opportunity to participate in these things. First of all, yesterday in our cooperative venture with Low Country Cares, uh, River Bluff uh, helped feed 60 of some of the most vulnerable families in our community, uh, took out uh, these meals, that, which means about 250 people uh, got fed for this coming week, and uh, it was a great day. I want to thank Pastor Guy for organizing that, and I, I want to say that's not over. This, this was like week one of a, of a long-haul journey, and we all know that uh, this need is going to grow uh, in the days ahead, and so we're going to need more uh, folks who will step up and just sacrificially serve as you can. We'll also uh, need to just dive in to uh, helping our neighbors, and so if you know of someone that's in need of food, uh, have them contact the Low Country Cares office, and uh, we can get them uh, on, on a kind of a running list of, of serving them during this time. Uh, also, want to let you know something uh, that incredible that took place this week. On, I think it was Thursday, uh, Chaplain Dan uh, Thompson, who is over in Kabul, Afghanistan, as you remember, Chaplain Dan was supposed to be leaving Kabul to head back home on April the 6th, but as with so many of those in the military, their orders have now been extended for an indefinite period of time. They don't know when they're going to get to make it back home right now. Uh, as long as this pandemic is going on. And so Chaplain Dan called me and said, uh, Joe, he said, uh, I need you to pray for me, and I need some help. And I said, Dan, how can we help? So we kind of laid out a plan, um, because he wasn't planning to be there for the Easter service. He wasn't planning to be the chaplain that would be kind of giving leadership to that. And now he suddenly found himself kind of thrown into that. And so he called and said, can, can River Bluff help with this project? And uh, we tried. We, we, we kind of tried to follow the details of a plan he laid out, but we could not get the resources that he needed uh, shipped to him. And so we began working and thinking and having some conversations around here. And uh, then I think on Friday, uh, he and I had a video conversation, a video chat, and uh, talked a little bit and shared an idea of something that we're doing here suddenly. And uh, he talked to some people on his tech team, a commanding officer, and then came to realize we could do this uh, there. And so River Bluff, because of your generosity, because of your sacrificial giving uh, throughout the years, because you gave to a special offering some time back to help uh, care for and love our troops in the desert, uh, we had m enough funds left over in that special uh, missions account to provide for Chaplain Dan the same uh, resource that we had to purchase so that we could begin live streaming. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to pray. Um, pray that all of those components will make it there a few days before Easter. His technical team has already begun trying to uh, 
understand what they need to have ready and what they need to do to get this thing ready to roll as soon as the equipment lands. Uh, but I wish you could have heard uh, Dan just weeping uh, over this, just with joy. He was so excited about uh, what God was going to be able to do for our troops uh, in this, in, with this new resource. So please be in prayer. And uh, one of the really neat things that came out of it, uh, Dan's going to be with us. When he gets back, uh, when he gets to come back home and spend some time with his family, he's going to come down to River Bluff and, uh, and, and spend a Sunday with us and share with us and uh, we're just, it's just going to be a great time in the Lord. So I hope uh, you'll be excited about that when the Lord opens that door to become uh, a great reality. Uh, one more piece of, of great news that I want to share with you is not only is God at work all around the world in the midst of this pandemic doing just incredible kingdom things, He is also continuing to work on the North American continent through our North American missionaries that we help sponsor, uh, River Bluff, and through your giving. And so I want you to take a moment because I want to show you a video. I think our, our team is about ready to run that. And so watch this video, and then we'll come back and talk uh, for a moment. The only first Arkansas-based baby food company, but the mom who created it says all the ingredients come from Northwest Arkansas farms. I was working for a local television station as a broadcast news reporter. And then I met Dave. And her whole world changed. <laughs> Somebody invited me to Seattle just to learn about church planning for three days. Really instantly got gripped by this sense of lostness and darkness. Yeah, it's really just well known for a lot of new age, kind of Eastern religion. But if God's called us to this place, he's called us to plant our lives here. We did feel like God gave us a great affirmation and a sense of peace for mm -hmm. this particular spot for us to do his work. I just began going to a local park and I would meet moms and just talk. That really mm -hmm. set the groundwork for building these relationships that became friendships. Mm -hmm. And then we began meeting in our home. And then it grew. And then we made two groups. Yeah. And then that group. God really opened up doors at the community center. And so when we got there, we met in one little room in the community center. And we took the doors, you know, the sliding doors, and we met in two rooms. And then last fall, we moved to the gymnasium. Yeah, we have anywhere from 75 to 95 people on a Sunday morning, so it's exciting. We're, it's, it's thriving. When people give to missions, it may seem like this very generic offering, but it turns into very significant things that we can utilize to better help us do our ministry and our work here. I was a journalist, I was a news reporter, and, and those things defined me. God stripped all of that away, and so it taught me to find my identity in Christ. Because when we came up here, I, I didn't feel capable. You know, like Jesus and the fishermen, he was like, come on, I'm gonna call you, be fishers of men. It's truth, mm -hmm. and when we are able to just share that truth with people, it literally gives them hope. through giving and praying, you, you all should have received uh, in the mail this week a, a prayer guide uh, that is put out by our North American Mission Board that we support. Uh, and every day this coming week, it gives you a, uh, a church planting uh, pastor, maybe and his family, to be in prayer for. Now today, we want to we wanna especially remember to pray for, uh, for, for Mary and uh, Dave Ellis. 
uh, in this time. Uh, as you saw, they are serving in Seattle, Washington. And obviously this video was made before the pandemic broke out, and you and I both know that this is a, where they're serving is a hot spot uh, for this, and there's a lot of fear in their community. And so we want to pray for them as they bring the gospel uh, in, into this, th this mess right now. And we want to pray for their protection, their provision, uh, the peace of Christ to fill them, and we want to pray for the work of the gospel to continue uh, even in the midst of this. So if you will uh, join me uh, in praying. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come. We come giving thanks for those that uh, Dave and Mary represent. Uh, so many of our missionaries planted throughout North America, uh, taking the gospel in hard-to-reach cities. So uh, we come specifically, God, praying for uh, Dave and Mary at this moment, but we pray God, that it would be an extension of our prayers for all of those who have given up so much to take the gospel to hard-to-reach places on our continent. So, God, we do pray. God, we pray for their protection. We pray for their protection spiritually, emotionally, for their bodies to be protected from this disease. God, we pray uh, for their provision. Uh, everything that they need, God, we pray that you would meet from your riches and glory. Uh, Lord, we, we pray that the the peace of Christ would fill their hearts and minds so much to overflowing, God, that then they will be dispensers of the gospel, the good news of peace that the world can have with you through Jesus. So we, we pray to that end now, Father. And I also pray that you would continue to stir our hearts to give generously and sacrificially, even in these uncertain times, that we would give, God, to that work, that great work, to support and, and so we can keep on the field. Uh, those who are serving this way, that you have given us the privilege of sending out uh, to, uh, to these cities all over our, our continent. And God, I pray for us now as we, we take some moments together to open your word. God, speak to our hearts. Lord, we, we need to hear from you. So I pray for that now, Holy Spirit, in each home that's kind of plugged in. I, I pray right now, Lord, that you would, you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, uh, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if not, they should be fairly accessible since you're at home, um, I want to encourage you to grab one and uh, open it to, to Luke chapter 15. That's where we're, we're going to begin today is uh, in Luke chapter 15. Um, give me a second to turn there. I've got to get my glasses on to make sure I land in the, in the right spot um, as well. And while I'm doing that, I want to, before I kind of begin this uh, reading, I want to I tell you a story. Um, it's a story that may not be known by, by many of you. Uh, it's a short story that um, uh, English author H.G. Wells wrote. Now, most people know that he is kind of famous for writing the, the story uh, the, the Invisible Man or The War of the Worlds. Uh, we're, we're familiar with that. But he also wrote several short stories. And one of those stories was uh, just very insightful, I thought. And the title of that story was The Country of the blind. And the country of the blind is a fictional story about a, a small village in kind of nestled in the mountains of Ecuador. And it had been a long forgotten village. It had kind of been separated from the rest of uh, Ecuador because of a great earthquake. And so they were just there. And uh, the, the unique thing about this village was everybody in this village was blind. 
And by the time of the telling of this story, uh, they had all been blind for 15 generations. They had no understanding of what sight was, of seeing, of seeing the mountains and their beauty in Ecuador, of seeing the clouds or, or anything like that. They had long forgotten what, what sight was actually about. And so they didn't even have stories uh, about being able to see. It was a, a culture devoid of anything related to sight. Well, one day, uh, a man was hiking in those mountains, and uh, he took a fall kind of down into their valley and needed care, and so um, he he ends up in this valley uh, and and in this village, and he soon comes to realize he's the only person there who has the ability to see with sight, and so he starts trying to describe to the uh, people in the village what it what it means to have sight what it what it means to see and they just they just don't get it they're frustrated and they're they're confused by it uh, no matter how how hard he tries and eventually the village decides that in order for this man to stay with them he needs to be cured of his ability to see and so they they begin uh, thinking about what that looks like and uh, they make the decision that they, they, they consult with a doctor, and the doctor decides that he can remove this man's eyes if he wants to stay. And kind of another part of the story that was going on, this man had fallen in love with uh, the most beautiful woman in the village because he could see that she was the most beautiful. Nobody else knew it, um, but he could see that she was the most beautiful. And so uh, he had fallen in love with her and, and wanted to, to marry her and be there, but the deal was he was going to have to give up his sight. And so the day that the procedure was scheduled, he made the decision that he was going to go out to this, this beautiful meadow and sit there and watch the sun rise up over, over the mountains uh, that morning. And while he was there doing that, he was just struck again by the wonder and awe of, 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 of the beauty. And this is how H.G. Wells ends his short story. And the man who could see escaped the country of the blind. Now, as followers of Jesus, I know that it often feels like we live in a country of the blind, in a world of the blind, where people are blind to see the beauty and goodness of God, especially in times like these. There's another more, what I would say, culturally relevant phrase, a little more culturally culturally relevant than um, this made-up story by H.G. Wells. And a couple weeks ago, the last time that uh, my, my study group that's been studying the church and the racial divide met, there was a phrase that came up. It's actually a one-word phrase, and we talked about it a little bit. And in our study and reading, we've all been coming across it probably more than we ever had before. And it's the word, this, this one-word phrase, woke, W-O-K-E. Woke was this slang term that's actually started making its way into kind of mainstream conversations about political injustice or racial injustice. It, it has its roots in the African-American culture, it, it, its origin. And basically what it means is I've, I've kind of been asleep to the world around me and, and the injustice around me, and now I'm woke to this reality. It's, it's a moment when your eyes are open and you're able to realize and recognize that something that you had completely missed before has always been there. And when you do, it completely changes everything. It may have been a political issue or a, such a, a horrible uh, injustice racially or socially. Now, in the parable that we're about to look at today, Jesus tells us about a woke moment in the life of a young man uh, and of his older brother who's being brought to the edge of a moment to be woke by his father 
and he probably never takes that step. And Jesus tells this parable because his desire is that those who are listening to him that day would be woke to the reality of the true heart of God. See, Jesus came and he was determined to reveal the true heart of his father, to really reveal what the kingdom of God is like and what it's all about, what it means to be woke to the kingdom of God. Charles Dickens said that what we're about to read is the best short story ever written. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15. We're going to start reading um, in, in verse 11. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in great need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one would give him a thing. So now in, in this parable, this, this young man's reality is he's reaching this point of desperation. And it's moments like moments in desperation that I think often sets the stage for us to truly become woke uh, in, in its greatest rendering, if you would. Now let's, let's keep reading. Uh, verse 17. But when he came to himself, when this young, younger son came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise. I will go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And verse 20 says, and he arose and he came to his father. Now, I want you to see a couple of things with me this morning. First thing I want you to see, in order to be woke to God's kingdom, it requires, first of all, that you experience what I will call a, a disturbing wake-up call. This disturbing wake-up call, it's, it's a moment when our, our eyes are opened and, and we come kind of alive to the realization we we wake up and we recognize that something that uh, had always been there but we had previously missed i remember uh being 15 years old and i was working as a lifeguard at a, a local pool and while i was there um the a, a woman began bringing her son there pretty much uh, when the pool opened um and he was a special needs child and she would bring him three or four times a week and the little boy was petrified of the water and he would he would cry and holler and and struggle and uh, it was just obvious he didn't want anything to do with the, the water I, I found out later that his dad was on a submarine and was currently deployed and that it always made things more difficult for, for the young guy uh, when his dad was away more difficult to to manage him and we were into the summer just a couple of weeks and she signed him up for swim lessons and my supervisor came to me and said she wanted to put Bobby in my group. That was his name, was Bobby. Um, and so I, I, I agreed. And my immediate thought was, th this is senseless. Uh, you know, trying to give this kid an opportunity to swim is just not going to happen. But that summer, 
because of this little boy named Bobby who had Down syndrome, I became woke to the incredible heart of special needs children, their incredible capacity, their unbelievable drive. My world got forever changed that summer. And she signed him up, not just for one two-week session, not just for two two-week. She signed him up for all four-week sessions of swimming that we had. And by the end of week eight, Bobby was running and jumping in the pool and swimming to me. Now, it wasn't the most beautiful stroke I had ever seen, but it was one of the most beautiful scenes that I, I had ever witnessed. And, and again, my, my capacity to understand and, and see special needs children different were completely changed. I, I had a, a woke moment. I, I became aware of something that, though it was around me, I, ha, I had never seen, and, and I was changed. And we see this in the story of the prodigal. He, the prodigal goes to this distant country. He spends all of, all of his money, actually his father's money, uh, just on, on, on wildlife, uh, this kind of wild living. And the, the Bible tells us that a famine came into the land, a pandemic. Something that had never been seen before. Mass unemployment, unprecedented moment in history in this young man's life. He had never seen such economic upheaval. And the only work that this Jewish boy could get was feeding pigs. And there's a whole other story behind that. Things couldn't have get wor gotten worse, let me, let me put it that way. So for, for, for him and for many of us, he was on the verge of what it takes to have this woke experience. See, we're, we're, we're in the middle of something like that. There, there, there's a famine. Maybe it's a famine in some of our souls. And oftentimes for us, we have to get to the very bottom before we're, we can be woke to what, what's going on, where we wake up and our eyes are open to what's really been there all along. Because for some reason, we had been living in our own little country of, of the blind. The Bible describes it this way in Luke 15, 17. It says, but when he came to himself, talking about the prodigal, when he came to himself, uh, New Living Translation says when he finally came to his senses. It, it means that he, he finally began to deal with the reality of the way things really are. And friends, that's the first requirement if we're going to become woke to God's kingdom, to his real love. You've got to have a, this disturbing wake-up call. It's the first thing that, that's required. But where do you go from there? Well, the second requirement in order to become fully woke is you've got to have a ferocious openness. You, you've got to have this fierce personal honesty. This younger son had this really difficult conversation, the Bible says, with himself. Some of you are aware that in recovery, step number four is that you make a searching and fearless moral inventory. Basically, what you do is you look in the mirror and you say some things to yourself about yourself that you really don't want to hear. A lot of people spend their whole lives running from this moment. We go way out of our way to never hear these things about ourselves. We, we put people around us that won't say those things to us and we hide from people who try to because it's just too hard. It's much easier just to, to pick up the binoculars and look at everybody else's faults than it is to pick up the mirror and look deep into ourselves. But that's what we see the prodigal does. And verse 17 simply says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, he, he, he speaks this into himself. No one else was there to hear. He's just, he's speaking to himself. 
And it's that moment when you stop pretending that everything is okay and you see reality for what it is. In, in our day, it's coming to the reality that if we're going to flatten this COVID curve, we are all going to have to seriously take up the cause of loving our neighbors well by spatially distancing, washing our hands, doing some simple things that can make a cosmic difference for a lot of people. For the younger brother, he had to come to the realization that he was, he was starving to death. And he says this to himself, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against my father. He, he, just, he tells himself the truth, and it's hard because it requires humbling. But friends, let me, let me tell you something about humility, because we have a choice here. We can either humble ourselves in moments like that, or eventually we will be humiliated. We, we get to choose what it's going to look like. It, it, it's all going to, to, to come, but I can either get ahead of it and humble myself, or I can just continue to bury my head in the sand and, and, and kind of just deny what's going on in my life. And the humiliation is always exponentially worse than when I humble myself. But woke only comes when I first get a wake-up call and then I ferociously open my, my heart up. But the third requirement to becoming fully woke to God's kingdom and his incredible, incredible love for you is this. You've got to have a divergent knowing. A divergent knowing. Look at verse 17 again. It says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home... Even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. It's a, it's a newer, better vision of your life based on hope in a real truth. It, it's saying, yes, we're, we're in a pandemic, but in my Father's house, there's always enough. In my Father's house, there is security. In my Father's house, there is provision. In my Father's house, there is protection. And, and when that happens, hope begins to rise, and fear and despair just start to fall away. And that gives the power to take this fourth step, this fourth requirement, if you would, to ult ultimately becoming woke to God's kingdom and His Father's heart, and it's this, immediate engagement. It's required. If you're going to become fully woke, you've got to engage immediately. Verse 20 says this, and he arose and came to his father. He, he, he understood his situation. He, he, he searched his heart. He had that wake-up call. He searched his heart, uh, and, and he, he saw a better way to live, and he moved on it. The Bible says he, he got up. And, and friends, this, this, this wokeness is all kind of one movement. Yes, it's about the wake-up call. Yes, it's about this, this ferocious honesty and openness about your condition. Yes, it's hope rooted in a better truth, but it's doing something. Even in the face of a national disaster. And so my prayer this week has become that as a church that men and women and boys and girls that River Bluff, we'd get up. That we'd have this wake-up call that we'd turn our hearts to the things that God wants us to, and then we'd get up. Now, here's the sad truth that I found about, about this reality. Um, most often, people get stuck in a cycle of the, the first three requirements. And it's kind of like wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. They, they get stuck there, and they never move on to that fourth requirement of getting up and, and doing something. 
you just haven't done it yet. And, and here's what that leads to. That will lead to incredible frustration that eventually takes us to fear and or anger. See, when God does something in your heart and your actual life doesn't start to line up with it, it's exhausting. Now, I can tell you from personal experience, it wears you out to be a hypocrite. I practiced that discipline for a while, and it, it just leads to frustration and, and exhaustion. See, where, when God is doing something in your life spiritually, but you won't align your life to what's going on internally, it's frustrating and exhausting. When God starts working something in your heart and it doesn't match up with your reality, it breeds guilt. It brings shame, which eventually will lead to undirected anger. Oftentimes we, we wonder, why, why do Christians get a bad rap about being kind of bitter, you know, grumpy old people? What, why, why does that happen? Well, because the truth is, sometimes we are. Because God's words, word shows us something, but we won't align our life with it. And it creates guilt and, and shame, and that manifests itself in these undirected ways. And we get, we get angry with people, and we don't know why. We get angry and frustrated with the circumstances like the ones we're living in, and it's not a reasonable anger because nobody caused this. Nobody can do anything about it by themselves. And it's only once our lives begin to align with our hearts that that guilt begins to, to diminish. So here's the question this morning. Where do you need to get up in your life? You may be going through those first three requirements, but where, where do you need to get up? Where in your life... Where, where in this crisis is God trying to awaken you, to uh, giving you a wake-up call to something that needs to be different in your life from this point forward? What, what's your wake-up call? Where, where do you need to, to arise in order for this to be a defining moment that really changes and shapes who you are? Some of you need to really step into this moment because you're starting to understand more clearly that there are no guarantees in this life. No guarantees. You know, we don't know if we'll even hear the next wake-up call. God may send it, but we may be so conditioned to avoid them that we, we don't, won't, don't hear it. In Hebrews chapter 3, God's Word says this, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. And for somebody watching today, maybe something needs to happen, some, some action that matches the wake-up call that God has given, because that's what we see taking place in the prodigal. He, he got up. It's this woke moment, and he, he engaged. Now, that, that's, a great, that's a great story. I, I love all of that movement of this young man's life, but the big question now is, is how is this father going to respond? Because he, he has an opportunity to respond to this, to react to, to what his son's about to do. Now, if you had been sitting in the audience when Jesus was telling this story, everybody knew what was coming next. E everybody knew that what this patriarchal father was going to do, he was going to show some tough love. He was going to put his son in place. He was going to make sure he knows that he's got to pay every dime back and he's got to do it with interest. He he's going to let his son, everybody in the audience would know that he's just going to let this boy have it. But that's not where the story goes. Here's what Jesus says in verse 20. He arose and came to his father, and then it says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And that word kiss means over and over and over again. He throws his arms around this boy like, like we all want to do for each other right now. We just want to reach out and hug somebody because we've, you know, we just can't right now. But he, he throws his arms around, he kisses, and he, he hugs his son. And the son says to him, you know, he starts that speech he rehearsed, you know, that he had in his head. These words that, you know, on the whole journey he was praying that these words would just suddenly make everything right. These were the best words he could come up with. And so he starts his speech in verse 21. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The, the boy's in the middle of his speech and I think, I'm just, my vision of what was going on there, how I see it, is the father's not listening. He's hugging and he's kissing his son. And while the boy is still trying to get his speech out, you'll notice he doesn't actually get to finish his speech. Well, I think the father turns around and he looks at the servants behind him. And, and he says, he starts yelling at the servants, go, go get the, 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 the best robe. Verse 22, go get the best robe. Go get a ring for his finger. Go get, go get sandals for his feet. That, that old fat calf that we've been waiting to, to serve up, go, go kill it and let's have a feast. It's barbecue time because this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost, now he's found. And Jesus ends this part of the story by saying, and they began to celebrate. Now the first century audience listening to Jesus would have been stunned, especially after the severity of what the, the disrespect that this young man had shown to his father. And yet the father gives out this undeserved grace and pours out this extravagant love because, see, the young man had basically said to his dad back in the beginning of the story, I, I can't wait for you to die, man. I, I ain't got time for that. G give me my inheritance now. One Jewish scholar said to ask for his inheritance while the father was still living was to wish him dead. And yet when he returns, this son, this son is met with, with open arms. There are a few phrases in, in that section of the story that I want to point out. First of all is the phrase, while he was a long ways off. The father doesn't wait for the son to get back home. He doesn't stand there with his, you know, with his arms crossed. You know. The Bible says he's filled with compassionate love. Friends, God is not waiting on you to get everything cleaned up and, and right before he'll receive you back. Now, I, I know. I know that a lot of us think that's the truth. I, I, I've been there. We think that, okay, you know, I'll, I'll figure out how to get cleaned up. I'll get a shower. I'll, I'll change my clothes, and, and, and then I'll go home. Some people would say it this way, when I've had sobriety for just a month. Once I've been sober for just a month, I get a, I, I get a one-month chip, uh, you know, in my pocket. Th then I'll go back home. Then I'll go to my father. The Bible says, when that boy was a long ways off, great phrase An another phrase that i love is this it says he threw his arm around him and, and he kissed him now i don't i don't know if you imagine what that boy smelled like um he had been for some season we don't know how long he had been down in with pigs that had been his living so down in with pigs that he wanted to eat their food he was that hungry it was just, it was a horrible, I mean, he was smelly, he was nasty, he'd been on this long journey. But did you notice his father doesn't care? His father embraces him. 
His father puts this clean, beautiful robe on him, puts a ring on those dirty, crusty fingers. But even that was not have been the most shocking part of the story. The most shocking part of the story, one little phrase was this, he ran to his son. That, that, was, that would have done undone that first century audience. Patriarchs back then did not run. They would not hike their robes up and, and, and run ever. Now, the boys would have run. The servants, they'd have run. But, but not this sophisticated, refined, never. And Jesus says about your father, he runs to you while you're still a long way off. For some of you, that may be a woke moment. That may be a, a wake-up call that could change your life. See, I, I think for many listening to Jesus that day, because their idea of God was not of a loving father who runs with open arms. Their idea of God was this harsh dictator who creates all these arbitrary, arbitrary rules for the purpose of making life miserable. They didn't think of God as this loving father with wide open arms. They, they thought of God as this kind of crossed-armed, indifferent deity. That, that was kind of the vision they had, who didn't really care about what was going on. They thought of him as maybe this cosmic cop who just kind of patrolled the universe, waiting to bust them. And Jesus says, no, no. That, that, is not, that is not my father. That is not the God of all creation. And I think for some there that day, that was the wake-up call that changed everything. See, it, it's interesting to me, if you study the origins of Christianity, when, when Christianity first came on the scene, it wasn't, it wasn't categorized as a religion. It wasn't thought of as a religion because what it said about God was so completely different to what every other religion said about God. Really, for the four, first 200 years of Christianity, the Roman culture used language about Christians the way we would talk about atheists. Because the, their Christians' thought of God was so absolutely foreign to their way of thinking about God, it didn't match up in any way. The God of any other religion would have said, you've got to make up for this. You've got to do penance. You've got to earn your way back. You've got to pay this debt yourself. And maybe, if you do, just maybe, I'll let you become a slave in my house. And Jesus says, that is not the reality of the one true God. He's a wide-open-armed, loving Father who cares about you where you're at right now, your fears, your frustrations, those things that, those habits and hurts and hang-ups that you have. Now, most people, I think, listening that day thought, oh, that's the end of the story. You know, it ended kind of with, and they celebrated but Jesus has something else in mind. J Jesus is, is moving on. Jesus had introduced a character early in the plot that just kind of went by the side, kind of like sometimes happens in a movie. You just see this character introduced, and then he's not there throughout the movie, and then he kind of shows up at the, at, at the ending. You don't think much of him. And suddenly, Jesus begins by pointing back out this older brother. Now, we've been talking mostly about the younger of the two brothers. This older brother has not been part of the story. But because what has he been doing? Well, the Bible tells us he's been out in the fields, man. 
He's been, he's been taking care of business. He's been doing his responsibilities, doing the chores, checking off the boxes. He's doing everything his father asked. He's meeting all expectations. And then he comes in from, you know, the end of a day at a really hard day of work, and he hears music, and he hears dancing, and he smells barbecue. I'm hungry now. I hope we're having barbecue today. Anyway, we're, he, he, he hears this, and he says to the servant, hey, what, what's going on? What, what's, what's going on? And the servant says, you're not going to believe it. Your brother. Your, your brother came home. Your, your brother's back. In verse 23, uh, verse 28 of, says this about the older brother, that he got angry and he refused to go in. So the, the father comes out to plead with his son. And, and here's what th- this son says, this older brother says to his father in verse 29. Please, it is very disrespectful he says look he says to his dad look these many years i've served you and i've never disobeyed your command he says look look at the things i've done and look at the things that i haven't done look at the all these good deeds in my life look at the sin that i haven't participated in look look at look at me and then he goes on to say and yet you never gave me a young goat that i might celebrate with my friends But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother of yours was dead and is alive now. He was lost and is found. I believe that the whole reason that Jesus told this story and the two before it was for this moment is because of the older brothers. Please don't miss this. There, There are two lost sons in this story. The first one was lost in a distant country, but there was one who was lost who was still in the father's house. But they were both lost to the reality of who their father was. Tim Keller puts it this way. I love it. He says, the bad son was lost in his badness while the good son was lost in his goodness. The the older brother doesn't doesn't see it. He does not have this this wokeness to who his father really is, but here's a wake-up call. There's never been a brokenness. He's never been really open uh, in in himself to do a a, a kind of a, a ferocious inventory of his own life. He's been in the father's house, but he's been lost there. And he is even more desperate in need to be woke. And what I would say is that right, right here, there, there are these two stories of woke that had to be told. And, and maybe, maybe some of us who, who are watching today and, and listening and reading this word, may, maybe you feel like you're in a distant country. And you need to be woke to the reality of God receives you. But my concern is that most of us, Probably like in the audience that day when Jesus was telling this story, most of us are those of us who are in the Father's house. And we are just as desperate for a moment of being woke. If you look at the story's context back in Luke 15, verse 1, before Jesus tells this story, we're, we're introduced to who was in the audience that day. Verse 1 says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And that's, that's those younger brothers they were in this distant country they were thought of as very far away from God but they had all gathered in uh, around Jesus 
It wasn't the typical audience that rabbis in that day uh, attracted. But look what it says about who else was listening. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled. That word grumbled, it literally means they, they complained to one another. They, they whined to each other. This man receives sinners and eats with them. I mean, it's just this, this horrible grumbling. These are the older brothers. And, and they're saying, why is Jesus so welcoming to these younger brothers? Doesn't he know who they are? Doesn't, doesn't Jesus, like, know what they've done? And so, so they're, they're, they're grumbling. And so Jesus tells, tells these three stories, and I believe with my whole heart, they're all leading up to this, this moment in time. They're not so much about the younger son, but he got to that and said, you know, everybody celebrate, and, and those people probably thought the story was over. And then I just imagine maybe Jesus cleared his throat. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the older brother. And I think he snapped them back and got their attention and pulled them in to help them see how desperately they were in need of being woke to the beauty the goodness, the radical love of God. Now, maybe, maybe you've never been one of those who's been in a distant country. Maybe you have an impressive religious resume. Maybe you have mostly always followed the rules. Maybe, you know, you're, you're at church every time the doors aren't locked down. Um, you know, may, may, maybe you're there. Maybe you're practicing spatial distancing. Maybe you're doing all the right things that may all be true of you, and yet you could be desperately lost in, in the Father's house. And, and I just want to point out a few things, just a, a few last things, kind of as, as we're closing, about how you might know that you're an older brother, desperately uh, lost in the Father's house. The first way is if you refuse to celebrate another's wokeness. If you refuse to celebrate when your brothers and sisters come from a distant country, that's a good indication that you're not woke in your own life, that, that you're more lost than they are because you're lost, you're lost at home in the Father's house. And so when, when they come home and your arms are crossed, you see someone coming from that distant country, you know, and they're, they're coming saying that they're repentant and that they're broken and they want, they want to experience the love of God. And, and, and you say, well, let's do this. We need to give it some time. Let's, get, let's give them some time. Let's, let's see what happens. Let's see if they're, they're actually going to make things right. Let's, let's see if they can get their act together. Who asked you? This is not your house. It's your father's house. You, you crossing your arm, it, it's your father's house. If your father is going to open his arms, you don't get to decide to cross, to cross yours. See, when there's a refusal to, to celebrate, it shows that you have missed, that you're not woke to who your father really is, to his goodness, to his grace, to his incredible mercy. Because if we, if we knew that, we'd realize what we had been saved from. We, we would realize, you know, we'd be aware of a lostness. We'd be aware of our own sin. We would never be that way. We'd be, we'd be the first to celebrate. When the father took off running, we'd, be, we'd grab hold of his robe, run with him. Because we would want to be there to celebrate with our arms wide open. Instead of with arms that are crossed. That's the first indication that you might be an older brother. Second one is this. If you, if you trust in God's grace less than your own goodness, 
Verse 29, I hope you notice what it says. It, this, this brother says, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your commands. He, what he's saying is I deserve. I, I, I deserve something from you. Look what I, I deserve. The, the younger brother, you remember his statement? His statement was, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Friends, until you get from and, to, and make that move from look what I deserve, look, look what I, I've done, to I'm not worthy, you'll never be woke. You'll never fully know the love of God. You'll never understand the kingdom of God in this life. If you begin your prayers by telling God all the things you've done and you know why you think God should bless you, until you go from look what I deserve to I'm not worthy, you'll never be woke, fully woke to God's love and his kingdom. The elder brother says, look what I've done. What about me? You know, And it translates in our day to Look what I've done for the church. Look how long I've been, how faithful I've been, how much, how much money I've given. What, what about me? What about what I've invested? I've given so much. Why are you so interested in feeding those people outside of the church? We, you need to take care of us. Nobody's called me yet. If that's you, I'm just challenging you to think. Maybe you're not woke to the full measure of God's love, even in this, in this pandemic. If, if that's what your mind is filled with, if you don't understand why people are excited about the opportunity to reach out to those who are hurting in Jesus' name, you might be lost inside the Father's house. Third way that you might know that you're lost inside the Father's house is this, is you're stuck in your grumbling selfishness. You know, we, we can grumble. We, we may not do it out loud. I'm just going to be honest for a minute. I... I I found myself grumbling some this week. I, I had me some of those older brother moments. I, I would cross my arms, and I would get frustrated with people who are people of faith who were walking in fear and, and panicked. I, I crossed my arms a couple of times in my heart with people who be, are doubting God's goodness and, and God's beauty. And God gave me a wake-up call. God, God, God kind of thumped me on the head. And so I'm still on this journey of being woke to a God who opens his arms even to us in our grumbling. So, so where are you today? Are, are, you, are you the younger brother, lost in a distant country, far from the father? Or are you the older brother, lost in some ways in the father's house? Now, no matter... Where you are, your father in heaven comes out to you. He ran out to the younger brother. He went out to the older brother. Your, your father is coming towards you. And if you've been filled with fear or depression, or if you're looking down your nose at others that maybe are, the father's arms are open. And he's inviting all of us to come, to be woke to the beauty of life in the father's house. Let's pray together. Father, we come at the end of engaging with your word, the end of looking at and thinking about what it means for each of us to become fully alive in your love, to, to, to understand, God, what it means to be brought into the Father's house by a Father who, who runs out to meet us, 
who's even while we're a long way off, and for some of us, we're a long way off from the Father and we're in His house. Some of us are still in a distant country, but God, we're so grateful today to learn from Jesus who you really are. And so, God, I pray for some of us, this might be a woke moment. This might be a wake-up call. God, God for, for others of us, it might be that moment of a clarity, of a, of, of a renewed vision, this, this kind of new thinking, God, that um, a, a new knowing that opens our minds to a truth about who you really are and how we can step in. God, maybe, maybe it's this moment when you're calling us to do this kind of ferocious, open look at ourselves, pick up the mirror. And maybe, God, it's that moment of engagement for us when we step out and we just, we come back to the Father. We come back to who you really are so that we can experience life in your house the way you intended life to be experienced. And so, Father, we come. And, God, we bring ourselves again in these moments. We commit ourselves again to be your children, knowing that we're, Sometimes the younger son, sometimes the older son, but you're always drawing us back into your house. That place where we can find love and acceptance. That place, God, where we don't have to, to perform in order to be loved and known by you. God, to, to that place where we could, we could sing that song that he knows my name. He knows my every thought. He hears all the fears of my heart. He hears it all and draws us near. And so, Father, we come. We come again in this moment desiring this day to be in our Father's house, to be woke to what it means to live in your kingdom and its fullness, to be woke, God, to your marvelous love and grace, your extravagant grace. And we step into it now. And so, God, I pray that as we step into that, we, 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 we step in knowing fullness, even in this unprecedented time in history, that you have us, that you are with us, that you love us and that we matter and that you see our condition. And you haven't left us and you're drawing us in. So, Father, we come in this moment back to your house. We come recommitting ourselves, God, to give back to you what's yours, sacrificially and generously. We, we come to do that now in our hearts, to recommit to that, to carry your gospel, the good news about what life in your house is really like all over the world. Help us, God, we pray. Live these out. Help us get up today and worship you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.